Mic on, mic check, one, two, one, two. Burping bitch. Category is live, work, podcast. Ooh. <laughs> she is giving me podcaster realness. Realness with my fan. I saw it. It says, that. yes, queen. And it has a picture of queen, queen on, on it. Queen on it. Like queen, the band. Beautiful. It's my favorite. Hey, everybody. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> Hey, welcome to another episode of Lights, Camera, Cocktails. <laughs> I am the <laughs> you ready for this? legendary face and body queen house mother of Tarjay, Zenobia. I am iconic. Strutting around, showing off my stuff, spilling my drink because I don't know too much. Mm. Lenny of House of Indulgence. Ooh, yes, House of Indulgence. Mm. Loving it. (laughs) And here on Lights, Camera, Cocktails. Cocktails. We pair amazing cocktails with amazing movies. And um, tonight is no different, y'all, except... It kind of is. Did we do a little twist? We did. So we are starting off our Pride Month this week. Yeah. No matter when you listen to this podcast, it is always Pride Month. (laughs) Basically. And so we decided that we would do our very, very, very first documentary. (laughs) And if you know me, girl, you know that I'm a doc queen. I love them. Mm-hmm. I can't get enough of them, especially if they're true crime. I know. But this is one that I have, we've been watching for years, over and over. A long time. Yes. And so we are watching Paris is Burning. Oh, darling. Darling. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, queen. Uh, we could not have started off Pride Month with a better movie. Amen. If there was a Bible, this would be it. Yep. Tell the truth and shame the devil, girl. <laughs> Tell the truth and shame the devil. Yep. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I'm ready to drink. Oh, girl, give it to me. I am ready. I am going to drink all the drinks. Lenny has been on a sort of cross-country adventure this week. I know. Look at me. She is, Yeah, she's no longer. She is not in Florida. She is not in New York. Where are you at right now? I am officially in Nebraska. Hey, Nebraska. What's good, <laughs> y'all? You got my queen there. I know. Look at me, like, living it up in my orange hotel room. <laughs> Can't stop me now. Yeah, she's sitting in her room with two, uh, you got double beds. Look at you, fancy. 
I know. I was sleeping on a king last night, well, but they don't have king size beds at this hotel, so I'll just be looking over at the empty one, thinking of you. Oh, that would be me sitting over there snoring. Oh. <laughs> But I have my cocktail and my cute little wine tumbler today. Um, she's ready. So I'm ready to drink. You're ready to drink. Let's tell y'all what we're drinking yeah. today. We are drinking the Queen of the Ball cocktail. Yeah, we are. Now, this is a Lights Camera cocktail original, y'all. Yes. So, you know, come get it. Woo-hoo. So tonight. Get ready for it. What you're going to need is you're going to need to grab your shaker and put about three to four, depending on how you feel, up raspberries in your shaker, along with three to four blueberries. You're going to muddle them into your cocktail shaker, add ice, and then you're going to add some two and a half ounces of bourbon, and you're going to do a half ounce of lemon juice, one fourth ounce of simple syrup and you're going to shake it all up and you're going to fill it into a nicely iced collins glass and gorgeous you're going to top it with some club soda and you're going to garnish it with some raspberry and blueberries and that is the queen of the bowl cocktail queen of the bowl queen of the bowl all right so let's let's do this you ready Cheers. Darling, cheers. (laughs) To all the great ones before us. Amen. I really like it. It's not too sweet. Yeah, it's not not too sweet. I like that about it. It's got a... It's not too sweet. I love the raspberry and blueberry with the lemon. It gives me like a berry citrus feel to it that really pulls it out. The bourbon too. I really like it. This is pretty good. I'm, I'm happy for this. All right. Are you ready for a little bit of history? Ready for that history? So tonight, our bourbon that we are drinking is Four Roses, which is such Ooh. a great bourbon. If you never tried it, I highly recommend it. Um, it's probably one of my favorite bourbons mm-hmm. out of all. Baby didn't just buy me flowers. They got me Four Roses. Ow. Ooh, yes. My true love. For Valentine's Day, will give me four bottles of four roses. Like that'll oh. be a good. That would be a great. Be like, I bought you roses, and it's just bottles of oh. four roses. Isn't it just so romantic? Wouldn't that be the best? Hello, whoever man wants to do that to me, I'm so willing to share some of my bourbon with you. So, so, um, so let's learn a little bit about this. So, in 1860s. In um, Atlanta, Georgia, Paul Jones Sr. and Paul Jones Jr. had a small grocery store. And they also had a small distribution warehouse. They started making, you know, a name for themselves and kept the family fed and going off of these businesses. And then Jr., he started falling in love with this Southern Bale and... Around this time, he was in the midst of buying a small distillery for himself. So, Paul Jones Jr. was in love with this beautiful Southern Belle. And so, eventually, he ended up proposing to her after they were done courting. You know, she was he was her gentleman caller. Ooh. And when he proposed to her, she said, I will give you my answer. But you'll have to wait 
until our upcoming grand ball. Going with our story here. Oh. Going to a grand ball. And if she... A grand ball. Yes. And if she said yes, she would wear a corsage with four roses on it. And if she said no, she would wear a corsage with three roses on it. So Paul shows up to the grand ball and he sees his love wearing a corsage with four roses. So that means yes. And so they get married, you know, and in honor of this beautiful courtship, Junior named his new distillery, his new bourbon after this moment in his life. This is also a story that's on the back of the label as well. So before I did the story, I was like, this is such a perfect story for this week. So anytime you get a Four Roses one, read the back of the bottle. It actually has a story on there. But after that, you know, his distillery became really good. And in 1884, he was in Georgia. And what happened was Prohibition hit there kind of one of the first states to actually do it. So he was like, well, I need to like get up. I need to move all my shit. And so he left and moved to Kentucky. And not only did he move to Kentucky, but he moved his office on Whiskey Row, which is the main street there in Kentucky. And it is known for having some of the greatest whiskeys in the world or in this like two to three block radius. So awesome. Um, it's all, it's on my travel list. I've never been to Kentucky. I don't know why I would ever be there, but if I ever do, you know, I'm coming to this, uh, whiskey row. Definitely. So eventually junior ended up dying and he left the business to his, one of his nephews and his nephew was running it through prohibition. So by 1919, Everyone had started doing prohibition and they started shutting every all the distilleries down. But there was um I believe a group of six distilleries that were allowed to stay open and to sell their whiskey as a uh, cure-all medicine. So you could sell it medicinally to pharmacies and stuff like that, but you couldn't just sell it in a liquor store or bar. Yeah. So they're one of the six that was one of these um, companies that did it was called Fincher's Distillery. And so Four Roses ended up buying them so that they could have that title and continue to sell. So they sold all the way through Prohibition. So for those 13 years, they were one of the number one selling whiskeys um, in the States because people, everybody and their mama happened to be sick during Prohibition. <coughs> get that uh them booze cure all like one of the things that they said was i'd be sick too yeah one of the things they said uh, was that the doctor would prescribe you to buy a pint one pint every 10 days of whiskey to cure whatever ails you so If you're feeling bad, drink some whiskey. (laughs) This is what they were telling our ancestors. So um, after Prohibition, the name became very famous and huge and kind of caught the eye of Seagram's. And if you know anything about spirit, Seagram's is one of the top dogs owning so many different types of um, booze. 
And so Seagram's seeing that, you know, oh, hey, girl, these fools are doing way better than us and we're way bigger than them. In 1943, they end up buying them and changing their blend of four roses. They basically bought it for the name, but they changed their blend of four roses for it to be a blended whiskey, which was not the original four roses recipe. And even though they were doing this, it's still kind of for roses was still, you know, doing a yeah. really good in the eyes of Seagram's. And they kind of didn't want that. They wanted their stuff to be more. So in 1960, they stopped selling it in the U.S. And this makes sense because when I was asking my dad about um, Four Roses and just, you know, I've, I haven't been drinking for that that long, but like I haven't yeah. really ran across it that much. And it's because they stopped selling wow. it in 1960s. And once they did that, they were only selling their blends in uh, Europe. And so in other places, like I believe it was like the highest... Um, whiskey in Japan oh. around this time and in Europe and England and stuff like that. They It was actually bigger than it was here. And eventually Seagram's uh, couldn't hold on to this brand anymore and I either sold it or relinquished it to someone else. So by 2001, it started to come back. And so it started to come back with the Four Roses logo and all of the beautiful things that come with it and the number one thing that Four Roses did was they went and pulled all of those uh whiskey blended whiskey bottles off the shelf and destroyed them because they didn't want anyone drinking those anymore because that was not the true uh Four Roses blend and so now today over grassroots and people drinking it bartenders being more crafty and loving cocktail and you know us as home bartenders are starting to adventure out and buy it. It has kind of made its name yeah. back, and so it is actually thriving here in the 2020s. And uh, yeah, that's a little bit of history on Four Roses. Yeah, absolutely, wonderful, rich history. Right? Isn't that a pretty good, pretty good uh, story? Very romantic, very yearning. Yeah, I didn't know much about that. I know. I didn't know much about it other than the ball. And I was like, we should, I should use uh, Four Roses because they met at a ball. And tonight we're talking about nothing but balls, darling. Balls. balls. Gotta get that balls. Category is? Four Roses. <laughs> Category is Four Roses. You have to come as a rose. Four of them. <laughs> One more thing. I do know that it says established on 188. 1888 on your bottles that is when they actually trademarked the name for roses for this bourbon so so that is the that's what that year stands for okay 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 are you ready darling let's jump on in yes the category is mm, the category is drinking game are you ready for the Motherfucking drinking game. Yes, sir. Ah! Give me that drinking game. You gonna take one simp when someone is voguing or says vogue. I want to take voguing not to just Paris is burning, but I want to take it to the real Paris. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. 
Hello, I'm Hello, drunk. I'm drunk. Because if you don't know what voguing is, it is... Voguing is the same thing. It's like taking two knives and cutting each other up, but through a dance form. Taking the beautiful shapes and bodies that you see in the Elite Vogue magazine, and it is brought to life by beautiful models walking down the runway in their... Uh, best voguing their arms framing their faces so yeah so anytime you see anybody voguing or talking about voguing which pretty much this movie introduced to the world um you're gonna take a sip yep you're going to take a simp when someone says legendary children house mother or house father so any of these titles, you're going to take a simp, Yacht Squid. Wonderful. Like, um... Well, of course, I mean, there's when Pepper LaBeja is like, I am the mother of House LaBeja. Oh, I didn't start it. That was Crystal. Do you want me to say who I am and all of that? <laughs> I am Pepper LaBeja, the legendary mother of the House of LaBeja. Not the founder. Crystal was the founder. I just rule it now with a soft love. With a soft love. But I'm love. the mother. I'm the most popular. <laughs> <laughs> I have the most children. Oh, yes. God, yes, that. mother darling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So anytime anyone talks about that, you're going to take a simp. You're going to take a simp every time oh, they announce a different category. Category is realness. She looks, you look like a beige girl coming on the street. You're like, hey, girl, you know. Uh, yeah, category is Bandibai. Bandibai. Mm, yes, queen. Yes. So anytime there's a category, category face or body or butch queen, mm -hmm. any of these face. High class. class. High class. Uh, what was it? Femme, Femme queen. queen. What was it? Like country. Oh, I love that one too. Town and country? Yes. And they're like, town and country. You own it all. And they're just like horse jockeys and fucking <laughs> rich. Opulence, ladies. That means you own Opulence. everything. <laughs> you own everything. Uh, so every time there's a different category, it. you won't take a sample. You're going to take a simp when someone talks about or does shade or reading. So anytime someone talks about shade, like uh, Dory Corey, where she was like, shade is... Shade comes from reading. Reading came first. Reading is the real art form of insults. Art form of insults. <laughs> she breaks it down. I don't have... <laughs> And then I love it. Shade, I don't tell you you're ugly. Shade is, I don't tell you you're ugly, but I don't have to tell you because you know you're ugly. And that's shade. That is that shade. shade. People be shading people on this. Like, I love where they get mad at the dude saying that his jacket was a female jacket. And he's like, the buttons are on the, uh, on the right side. <laughs> now, I'll cut the music. Now, I said, I said... Men's garment. What are men's 
He looked like he had on a man's box coat. Tell this child where are the men's garments? I think for it, motherfucker, a man bought it. The button's on the right side. The judge is saying it. The button's on the right side. And even the the girl and the in the audience like, ooh, that's shade. Look, they throw a mad shade at him. Yes. So any of those, you're going to take a sample. You're going to take a simp when someone says a house that they're from. You know what a house is. I'll tell you what a house is. A house is a gay street gang. A gay house, street fights at a ball. And you street fight at a ball by walking in the category. So the house of Corey, the house of La Beja, Ninja... The house of extravaganza, the house of Saint Laurent. Ovenez. Pendarvis. Adonis. La May. Pendarvis. Saint Laurent, of course. <laughs> Dupree. The house of Saint Laurent, of course. Of course. Yes. I love her. I love Octavia so much. I, I like love Octavia. Love Octavia. I wish I looked like her. Like she it. is so gorgeous. You know. She's gorgeous. Love it. So Anytime someone tells you what house they're from or is speaking about another house, because I love where they're like, I do, I mean, the house, Pepper from La Beja, they're not that great. Like, they were talking mad fucking shade on that fucking shit. I don't think she's that good. Like, oh, I know. What about the house of Dupree? Dude, yep. House of Dupree. (laughs) Dupree. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Paris Dupree, like, is a bitch you don't want to fuck with. Definitely. Shit. Butch Queen! I, I love her. She's like ripping her wig off. Butch Queen! Huh? You talking about a Butch Queen? Yes, bitch. We are talking about a Butch Queen. Yes. Oh, Paris. I love you. Okay, so um, you gonna take a simp when you see tits or ass. Tits or ass. Bought myself a fancy pair. Mm-hmm. I love it. So, yeah, there's a body yaddy yaddy bitch who walks down the runway like real, realness, naked. I love yeah. when they're like, our mother, oh, she even breastfeeds us to get to see a little bit of titty sucking. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, anytime you see any tits around, take a oh, sip because it wouldn't be, syrup. it would not be pride if you didn't see tits or ass at least once. It's just law. It's true. And... I mean, me and Lenny have been to a, quite a few prides in our motherfucking life. Yes, quite a few. Quite a few. We might post some pictures on our Instagram of our pride <laughs> adventures. We haven't had some in a while. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to take a simp when ballroom is said. Ballroom, ballroom scene. Oh. You gonna take a sip. This movie is about the ball circuit and the gay people that's involved in A ball is ours. We prepare for a ball. We, we may spend more time preparing for a ball than anybody would spend preparing for anything else. Exactly. A you know, ball so is like true. our world, it's you know. Balls to us is as close to reality as we're gonna get to all of that fame and fortune and stardom and spotlights. Balls. I went to a ball. Love it. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm getting you fucked up, bitch. Get ready. You gonna take a simp when someone 
says model or rich. So anytime that, you know, they're talking about like, look at these models on my wall. I you look at all these models on the wall. Every one of them are gorgeous. Or, uh, I just want to be a rich white woman. I would like to be a spoiled rich white girl. <laughs> oh, that's Venus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I'm not mad at you. I mean, I would definitely like to be a rich white woman, but black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, I understand what she's talking about. I would love to be taken care of and just given things for my beauty. Well, that's like one of my favorite lines from the show is Octavia St. Laurent. She goes, I want to be somebody. I mean, I am somebody. I just want to be a rich somebody. Somebody. I want to be a rich somebody, though, you know? That's like it's so so it's honest. So genuine. <laughs> yeah, she's so is she's so beautiful in that moment. You're just like, you're adorable. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. And same. Yes. So I'm also going to have you take a stamp when someone talks about money. So when I mean not just necessarily saying rich or being rich, but they talk about how they get money. How they want, you know, want to have money. If the word money is said, you're going to take a sample, okay? You're going to take a sample when someone wins a category. So these happen all through. So we're going to take some samples for the winters. It's not like at the very end of this movie they say all the winners' names. No. They kind of sprinkled them in throughout the movie. So get ready for that. Anytime there's a win, you're going to definitely take mm-hmm. some samples. So you're going to finish your drink when you when we meet Willie Ninja. My house name is Ninja. Who, girl, definitely introduced me to the world of Vogue before I even saw this, this documentary. Legendary. It's so great. Yeah, so when we meet him, you're going to take a stamp. I love it because he's like, I just want Mike to have ninjas all over the world. And-, and I would really like to take my whole house and go to Japan and really let loose and do it and have them accept it there. You know, he just started this. He's the best. I know. And I feel like he has the least drama out of all of the queens. He really does. Well, that's because he's so focused. Like, he wants to be a performer, a choreographer. Like, he can foresee what he wants his career to be. And it isn't just balls. Like, that's why it's so important. And when he went off to do his thing, and he he has become very well-known and very well-respected in the industry, it's kind of cool. I love it when he says, he's like, I just want to take voguing, I just want to take voguing to Paris, and I want, like, ninjas to be in Paris. And it's like, he did that. He really did go to Paris. He made it. Yeah. Because ninjas are like assassins. Yeah. Right? And that's what they are. So you're going to finish your drink when we meet legendary Willie Ninja. We're going to finish our drink when they talk about the Roy Rogers food. Now this scene gets me every time. I think it's hilarious (laughs) where he's like talking about how they just go in there. Five dollars. Make no mistake, we got your five dollars (laughs) back. I had two double cheeseburgers, two fries, a Coke, a Sprite, and an orange. Chicken and chips. I was going back and forth. I lived on that line. We got over around, around, say around $200 in food. See, they put cheese on the meat. <laughs> With cheese on it. In front of like these like. Older people. Like this, yeah, this cis white ass old couple is sitting there and they're like legitly like, who are these people? <laughs> 
I love it. And I love where he's just like, I hope after this, Roy Rogers does not change how it has its food. Because if it does by this interview, I will be so upset. I will be so upset. I'll be swollen. Oh, that was Freddie. Yeah. Oh, cute Freddie. Cute, cute Freddie. You're going to uh, finish your drink. Nice. You're going to finish your drink when Dorian Corey does her speech about shooting an arrow in the sky. I always had hopes of being big star. As you get older, you, you aim a little lower. And I just say, well, yeah, you still might make an impression. Everybody wants to leave something behind them. Some impression, some mark up on the world. And then you think you left a mark on the world if you just get through it. And a few people remember your name. Then you left a mark. You don't have to bend the whole world. I think it's better to just enjoy it. Pay your dues and enjoy it. If you shoot an arrow and it goes real high, Hooray for you. Just making a mark in the world. That's all you got. If a couple people remembers you, then you did a good job. But if you shoot an arrow in the sky and you hit a star, uh, hit a star well, good for you. And it goes real and it high. Goes real high. Hooray for you. So, you're going you to fucking finish your drink. So cute. You got anything else you want to add to this? I think that was practically perfect in every way. Thank you. Well, then that is the completely perfect drinking game yes so are you ready for the stats oh give me those stats 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 i want those stats 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 stab me up stab me up stab me up ow this movie paris is burning dropped i'm not quite sure so i think it did the film festival yeah it did the film festival circuit in 1990 but i believe that it started to play to the public in august of 1991 so i'm gonna go it's around that time when this movie came out but the budget for this movie was 500k that was all that they needed to make this movie in the 80s if you translated that into 2021 money that would be one million dollars to make this movie. Oh, ho, ho. So really nothing. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> um and it made 3.9 million dollars which in 2021 money mm-hmm. would be around 8 million dollars that this small independent uh documentary made. It's pretty good. It's not bad. Not bad. Not bad. So Rotten Tomatoes critics 98%. So they were actually pretty good, yeah. I know you were holding your breath over there. And it's not like it's a cult classic, which it is. It is. But in the 90s itself got its praise for winning film festivals. And critics as a whole yes. appreciated the movie and saw what it was trying to do. Now, the audience, 89%. Surprise. So a little less because I feel like the majority of the people who saw this movie i mean not that gay people don't watch this movie or queer people don't watch this movie but i feel like the people who scored this on rotten tomatoes are like young kids who didn't like grow up in that time it's still old it's ancient you know the terms that they use for things we don't even use some of these terms that they use in this movie so like i feel like that might have something to do with it i don't know i don't know why the audience was so no i feel like it's super relevant I, I, I feel like when I was watching it again, I was remembering, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just like still so yeah. prevalent to what is happening now. Like all the slang is getting it's brought back used. into mainstream. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean... No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, you know, when you, I'm just saying, like, you know how when you just people look at something that is in a different time period, even though some of the stuff is still relevant, it just feels so far away. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it also could be just, like, a not a large portion of people who are reviewing this on Rotten Tomatoes are of the queer community. There's not really a bunch of incentive to go and rate queer culture-based films on Rotten Tomatoes because there's not a lot of queer culture-based films, especially a mainstream film. So for it to be just critiqued on this website, maybe, it just doesn't have a lot of... Because from any single person that I know reveres this movie. It's iconic to people. It's iconic. It is honestly from the beginning of where we started. I... I don't think I would have been able to live in San Francisco <laughs> and and have been so deep in the culture and the the clubs there if I had not seen this sh- this film. I agree. That's what I'm saying. This should be an introduction to everybody. Like this should be an introduction to the queer community. It's like one of many. This. Yes. One, one of many. <laughs> I give this movie a 95. Think it's great it does a good job at introducing mm-hmm. non-queer people to the world of ballroom and the queer culture as a whole but my thing is that i feel like they picked and choose who they wanted to follow and really go into depth into and not necessarily everyone like i feel like junior labeja who is the person who does all the announcing for the category and some of the lines that he even says in this movie are things that we say today that RuPaul um, an icon today says on her own show RuPaul Drag Race. I feel like we didn't go into depth into talking to him because hey girl he's the one who's has seen it all and could call the shit out and knows I would like to see Mm -hmm. hear more from that instead of just maybe some of these also being a person of color I do understand and feel how it is to have a white person come into your uh, domain and kind of blow up your spot and make money and make a career off of this and then not necessarily bring up people of color that they stepped on. So because of that, I am giving it a 95%, but it's still one of the best queer documentaries ever. Okay. So that's my ZZ Fresh. What is my Lenny Zest? This, for me, the Lenny Zest, 98%. I think that this movie, this film is still prevalent and has so much about queer culture still to this day is relevant, especially people's stigma about certain things, about, you know trans in this country about aids in this country and there's still these stigmas happening about and it's just such a beautiful way to show this human existence and expression with these beautiful people and it's such a raw emotional setting for all of them i feel like i i would say that Jeannie livingston who is the director of this film had to earn a lot of respect to even be able to talk to some of these people some of these legends definitely in this film yeah. it, she proved her salt for sure she she immersed herself into the culture it wasn't something that she just like oh i'm interested and i'm just gonna like figure it out like she became very passionate about it she's done many other works for the queer community i just i love that the truth and the trauma that comes through in the story every single character it's not just it's, it's truly who they are and it's what they've become and how they 
recognize themselves approach the world as themselves and i think it's so beautiful and it's so genuine yeah definitely i mean i wouldn't know what the world of ballroom was if it wasn't for this room movie definitely absolutely and it's a great introduction i mean they go over everything they go over the elements of ballroom they go over reading they go over shade they just everything that you need to know is completely explained to you in this film so it's a great beginner's film for anybody to watch learn it and learn it well it introduces you to the world that is the stats y'all stats 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 so who would you like to talk about now well i'd love to just get the director kind of out of the way since we've talked a little bit about her in all honesty she knew that the story needed to be told and it's kind of beautiful that she took the initiative to get it done. She is a part of the queer community herself, outspoken lesbian. She lives in New York still. She's a Yale graduate. She unfortunately lost most of her family between the years of 1995 yeah. to 2000. It was... Yeah, like everyone, like her mom, her yeah. brother, her sister. Her, her uncle, uncle, her brother, her father, all of them. Kind of intense. Crazy. To say the least. She's done a couple of other films, short films, Hotheads and Who's the Top. She also has done, really interestingly enough, this really cool music video. It was like a directed video for Elton John in 2011. 11 she did the million dollar piano for the caesar's palace in las vegas so she did a series of black and white moving portraits to go along with the song mona lisa's and the mad hatters she is a consultant for pose which if people didn't know pose is directly correlated with paris is burning it's very highly characters in pose are inspired by characters in Paris is Burning and they even say quite similar lines to people in the yes. in the movie. Yeah. So, sh- so if you've only seen Pose and you haven't seen Paris is Burning, you're doing it backwards and you need to get yeah. it right. <laughs> Definitely watch Paris is Burning. It's the start of it all. And it's so intricate and it's so important that we're talking about this even now because this is the final season of Pose. Ah! I know. Mm. But she directed, actually, in season two, episode seven, uh, The Blow, the whole that whole episode she directed. I did not know that. Okay. Which is one of my favorites, too. It's when they put that big condom on <laughs> the guy's hat. Quite full circle. Yeah. Quite full circle. Mm-hmm. I love it. Absolutely. Right now, her latest project, which is in post-production, but no one's seen anything. Apparently, it's been in post-production since 2014, is this project that she's done called Earth Camp One. And it's a non-fiction feature full length that's about basically her memoir of the loss that she has experienced after losing her entire family. I'm sure it's going to touch base with a lot of mental health, grieving, loss of that nature. I'm sure it's probably been a labor of love for her and that's why it's taken this long to complete it. But as of right now, it's a piece of work that has not been released and not been made available. There became so much contention from all the people who were in this film towards Jeannie Livingston because they felt as though they were taken advantage of in a way that they didn't realize what the film was going to be like. And they didn't get a lot of money. They barely got like $1,000 each. A couple grand, yeah. So when this became such a huge success and the film production and the film companies were able to make a a, a tiny little profit off of it. But I do want to point out that this is a Miramax movie. So. It is a Miramax movie. Yeah. 
this is a really big start to it. To yeah. Miramax, like the company itself. Which just seeing that title like makes me sad when I see I know. Like, movies I love so much. But you're right. The, I the, a lot of people were not happy. The people who worked on it, and there was mm-hmm. another movie that's sometimes considered the part two to Paris of Burning, which is called How Do I Look. It came out in the 2000s, yes. and they do interview um, some of the people that are left from Paris of Burning, and mm-hmm. they had mad shade and mad reads on this whole fucking. Uh, experience in movie and that's semi why I say like you know as a person of color when you see someone uh, make money off of your talent and you don't get it you're gonna be a little you know upset about it no matter what Um, but you have to look at this all in a big picture scope as in like I said this movie introduced ballroom to millions of people who had no clue what this was i would have never gone to any of my any balls if it wasn't for this movie because i wouldn't have understood what the fuck i was getting myself into so Mm -hmm. like love it or hate it this thing helped so many people uh queer people straight allies just straight people in general of all races understand this scene that is so beloved in the New York scene, especially in the 80s and 90s. What I found the most interesting of it all is Paris Dupree, who was only in the film for three minutes, tried to sue the director $40 million. For what? For using her name, using her likeness, and using her reputation in the in the industry to obviously promote this film. And she felt like she wasn't getting represented correctly, so she sued for $40 million dollars. She unfortunately settled out of the lawsuit and only got $5,000. And she's been quoted, oh, well, I wish I would have gotten more, but I got fame and that's all that really matters. I mean, again, they're saying that they didn't get money-wise, but they got uh, shows and events off Exposed. of this movie. Yeah, yeah, they got to be on TV shows. They got to be in pride parades. They got to be do their show in places. Absolutely, book. So you did get something out of it. Definitely, always a lot of there was. A, everyone was booking them a lot more. They did a Joan Rivers live television. Queen, yes. Yeah, not Paris Dupree though. That was just Pepper. She, like I said, she wasn't one of those she wasn't, named ones. That, we didn't get a backstory on her, which we should because her life is pretty amazed. And she was uh, a big part of the reason why the ball scene is the way that it is. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, give her it's named after her one of her most notorious ballrooms that happened annually. Paris's Burning was an annual ballroom that was always happening. And this is actually named after it. I mean, also you have Willie Ninja who says... You know, we're wearing this to the Paris is Burning show, you know, so there's that link as well to the film. But I mean, it's it's named after her actual event. So (laughs) it did take me years to realize because I was just always like, why is it called Paris is Burning? Mm, Like, I don't get it. Took me a minute to realize that it's because it's that bitch. Mm-hmm. And, she, and you didn't even like break down how she even came up with the idea of doing this, 
or any of her hard work. And like I said, there's a lot of people like Junior LaBeja should have had way more because I want to see why we're doing this. Who put this on? Not necessarily all of the houses and deep dives into people trying to be models. Nah, bitch, I want to know more about the ballroom. But that's personally just me. Well, I also think and... you got to think about it from their perspective. They might not, they might have both have seen like, we're not getting paid for this. I'm not going to give you my whole life story because I'm a performer and there's a value to what I do. And since... Bitch, if you t give any drag queen drunk enough, they will tell you their <laughs> life story for free. That I can attest to that. Mm -hmm. But it's been said that Paris Dupree is the one that created the phrase voguing because during one of the ballrooms, she was walking around holding a Vogue magazine as one of her uh, effects in the, sh in the catwalk. A little prop. And she was making her moves and, you know, doing her catwalk and her spins and her dips and whatnot and all of her hand motions. And they're like, oh, my God, she's voguing. And that's how it all got started. That's what she claims. See that? I mean, any drag queen will claim that, that they invented something. So um, <laughs> I will give her that, though, because Paris, yeah, Paris is burning. Paris is burning. Paris is burning. But we won't be talking about Jenny. <laughs> Livingston probably ever again so I, I don't, don't nothing on her list but she, uh, I praise her for giving us yes, this gift I do I think she's an incredible I think I think the whole film in itself is very creatively well done I think the intimacy and the truth that she was able to pull out of everybody that was involved in the film it's a it's a poetic beautiful flow of a film the way she edits the conversations how you can see the sweetness of the characters and then immediately switches it to their wit and automatically you see why these fierce queens are just the bells of the ball basically because they are so brilliant they are so captivating and they're so lovely yeah and I want to be all of them. So thank you to Miss Livingston. But she is, like you said, she is relevant as in uh, directing some of Pose, which is, you know, a huge hit in the past like couple years. Mm -hmm. And introducing the ballroom scene to a whole new generation of people. Uh, some yes. people in this world are not documentary watchers i totally understand that i am not one of those bitches i love me a good doc um i just watched a bunch of them this week like legit oh, i watched yeah. one about a murder in riverside Ooh, creepy that's super creepy. <laughs> it happened when i was a teenager but thank you we appreciate you bringing out this awesome movie to us right on right on so are you ready grab your queen of the bowl cocktail and travel with us to germany where it call it's called mm. paris burns paris burns it's just burns if we went to greece where yo people are from <laughs> this movie would be called paris is on fire Ooh, paris on fire can it's I get fire. one ticket to Paris on fire, please? Thank y'all. My Paris is on fire. Ooh. <laughs> okay. If we went to Hungary, it'd be called Flames of Paris. Ooh la la. I, I actually... Yeah, I like that one too. Flames of Paris. Flames of Paris. This one is definitely my favorite. If we went to Japan, this movie would be called Paris Never Sleeps at Night. Ooh. Right? That is fun. I like that one. It kind of makes <laughs> me like feel like the two young kids that we see that are like, it's like, what are we doing? We're talking to you. It's like 2.30. Like, what are you guys doing up? What's your mother? And they'd be like, I don't have a mother. 
It reminds me of them. Like, that's a title for them. Paris never sleeps at night. Some of the working titles here in the U.S. for this movie was The Children Are and To Be Real, which I kind of like since they play that song. To be real. To be real. It's got to be real. That is a little bit of the AKAs. Cool. I like those AKAs. You were right. They are just all very complimentary to the film itself. They all work out pretty good. Nothing... Mm -hmm. Nothing too awful where you're just like, why? Why would you make this? Talking about the houses and ballroom culture, we already discussed a little bit that actually are happening in the film. The House of St. Laurent, which is still very important and very prevalent in the yep. in the nobility now. House of La Brescia. Which is still going, is currently still in effect. We also have the House of Dupree. We have the House of Extravaganza. 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 We have the House of Gucci, which got started in 1995. And then the House of Ebony, which is one of the most legendary of all the houses that have been around since the beginning of time. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes. And then, of course, we have the House of Balmain. We have the House of Aphrodite. We have the House of Amazon. And we have the House of Balenciaga. So most of these houses, how it all got started really was when they first started making the houses, people were just creating, having a really luxurious last name that really ident- they identified with. And it wasn't until a little while after the first houses were made that everyone was like, um, they should be definitely like fashion houses and taking after that. So that's when we started to see an influx of like the House of Gucci and the House of St. Laurent. The House of St. Laurent was the first to come. And that's why I am House of Target girls. Yes. House of Target. (laughs) It's true. And then my house took a different approach. Like, that's why we did the house of indulgence, because we all love to indulge in one thing or the other. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes, these houses are still lit and out there. Um, You can watch. Most of the ones that you hear in this movie are still have their legends. Yes. Their children, they're still growing. Um, you, if you guys are interested in all this, I would definitely say go watch Legendary, Legendary on HBO Max. It has uh, Megan Thee Stallion in it. If you're a fan of her, she's a judge, mm-hmm. and you guys kind of get to see and judge for yourself on who you would pick for a ball, which is something that I feel like I've never really done except being physically at a ball, where I'm like, no, you should have won, honey. No, but like you could do it from home yeah so i and and a lot of these uh like you said these houses that you name like ebony and ninja they've been on legendary yeah you know oh my gosh yeah and they've been incredible and that's why i really appreciate because there are some that very specifically stick to fashion design they're very into the labels they're very into what they can buy like what they acquire Instead of what they create, which is one of my favorite quotes in this film by Dorian Corey. Uh, she the best quotes, that bitch. I know. She's ha- she has, like, the best quotes. But one of the quotes is, you know, kids these days, they, they come in and they don't create anymore. It's just things they acquire. And uh, there's, like, a, a, a tad bit of resentment in that for for Dorian, because you can tell, you know, he's one of the older queens, so he was all about, like, sequence and feathers and creating what you were wearing and exposing it, and 
there was a lot more in the beginning of ballroom, a lot more people like collecting and, and creating these costumes and these these scenes and this kind of almost abstract feel of what they were doing and then making it. And you can see it in Legendary too. They put a lot of intricate themes in the performances that they produce. But then there's others, like as we saw in Legendary Saint Laurent, you know, they were just very fashion forward, very like, we're beautiful. Like yeah. this is this is designer. This is everything. And you're like, okay, that is gorgeous. But you guys kind of let me down a little bit on that legendary house. You guys kind of let me down. There are the five elements of ballroom that you always need to have. Yeah. And that is the catwalk. It's the hands, the spins and the dips, the duck walks and the floor performance. You need and to face, have bitch, face. that floor <laughs> performance because that's yeah. where the truth is. That's where it is. I agree. I agree. And that's why that's why they make that's how you show down at the end of it. Um, So all I can say is get off the floor. Get off the floor. Get off the floor. Learn it and learn it well. And learn it and learn it well. (laughs) Mm, Yes, please. It's one of my favorite quotes from Junior Um, LaBeja. He's so funny. Yeah, like seriously, some of these legendary house children have been on RuPaul's Drag Race. Yep, you'll still and see this. And to do very well. And, and RuPaul is just continuing on aspects of the ballroom scene in her stuff. But I did, fi- I did find some like history on ballrooms. They go back way further than we even could possibly know. Let's dive in. So, the ballroom scene, or the gay ball affairs, as they were uh, later recalled, started in the 1800s. That's how far back ballroom goes, Mm -hmm. girls. By the time it got to the 20s, it became a little bigger, and it was called the pansy craze, where they would have men dress and walk and just, you know, be fabulous. Mm -hmm. Even in the 20s, they're getting thrown in the back of paddy wagons. Um, you remember when I brought up the pansy craze when we were talking about Tu Wong Fu? If we, you really yep. want to hear a lot about that, we went into a deep dive. We sure did. And when I heard that, I was like, ooh, here we go. So here we go. you're going to have to thank people of color uh, because after the pansy scene, uh, ballroom scene kind of went underground until around the 40s and 50s. And then it came back. But what it more was entailed was more of what we call pageants like uh, Miss America pageants Mm -hmm. more pageant queens which are very still a big Mm -hmm. and thing in the queer community but these pageants were set for white queens to win never people of color and people of color would have to lighten their skin to be part of these competitions and even though they did all of that they still never won so by the time we got to the 60s if you've seen this movie called The Queen, is a movie that is set 1968. The movie The Queen came out, and it was more set with white queens doing a pageant, which is still very interesting to watch, especially if you're a queer person to see, like your ancestors, mm-hmm. the shit that they had to deal with. And you'll see baby Pepper. Yeah, Le- yes. Um, so all of these on there, it's a pretty cool movie to watch. But the last, like, ten minutes of the movie is really the whole tea of the movie, girl. So, like, Queen 
the Queen movie, at the end, they crowned a very beautiful, stunning-looking white queen and gives Crystal LaBeja, ever heard of her, gives her third place. And she couldn't mm-hmm. handle it, so she immediately walks off of the stage. And they call her, you know, tacky for not just being graceful in her thing. But she's fed up with all the shit of being never being better than her white counterpart because of the color of her skin. So she yells into the camera. She says one of the most famous queer lines ever. I'm beautiful and I know that I'm beautiful. And she tells everybody off. Don't touch on my color, darling. I am beautiful and I know I'm beautiful. And shortly after (laughs) the movie The Queen comes out, Crystal and her friend started putting together their own balls and then this is also where they started to put together their own houses and so the house of la beja is one of the very first houses ever and mm-hmm. it became really big in the 70s and 80s and that's where we are when this movie is starting we're in the late 80s and the ball scene now is way bigger than mm-hmm. anything that the queen had ever seen. And so, yeah. I just love to, like, hear that that's how anything gets started. Is that someone feels like, you're not even... I can't even be equal to these people that I gotta go start my own shit that will revelize and revolutionize the world of drag, of queer culture, of the ballroom scene everything mm-hmm. and that is where we are in history when we are watching this movie yeah back then you would have ballrooms right. that would own balls would be like annual and it would be like one a year and then like another group of people were like well we'll host a ball so then all of a sudden it became like two balls a year yep. like in the 1950s they had the the harlem ball up in on 155th a street and then daisy d had her long island annual ball and so it just became slowly something that became popularized yeah. into what we yeah. have. Now there's like two balls a week in some areas. Yeah. I mean, not recently because of, you know, pandemic. But before, I mean, you could easily go to a ballroom. It, was, it wasn't that hard. Exactly. I had been to a handful in San Francisco. And yeah, yes. I mean, I never got to do Oakland. any of the New York ones, which is on my bucket list to do. Mm-hmm. But I do... I've been to a couple of really good ones at a $3 bill Ooh. and the meatpacking district. Oh my God, some underground ones. Really cool. Oh my God, I'm so jelly. <laughs> uh, being that I am not a queer woman or person, I do feel a tad bit odd of giving you history on a, a culture that I am not necessarily completely on, but I am a diehard Uh, ally and that's why I feel like I can give you guys some of this history because as a black woman I know that the struggle is real for any person Mm -hmm. of color who is trying to be transgendered is also really hard like I love the line it's one of the first lines said in the movie where it's like you know I I remember my dad that you have three strikes against you in this world every black man has two that they're just black and they're male but you're black and you're a male and you're gay. You're gonna have a hard fucking time. But he said, if you're gonna do this, you're gonna have to be stronger than you ever imagined. 
now that I'm like being a gay man, like I got three strikes to get me already. Like it's yeah, real. It's I real. mean, I I got two strikes to get me. I ain't got that gay strike, but I'm with you. I've marched in the streets for you, and mm-hmm. and proud to be part of the Rainbow family as an ally. I just want to say that because I all week I kind of felt weird. I was writing all this stuff down and I'm like, I'm not even, this isn't even, I mean, you are a queer, queer woman. So you yes, definitely, you know, this is your legacy. And it's like, you know, this is deep, y'all. We're all family though. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you know, if you know the yearning and if you understand the strife and the truth we've all been through now a universal trauma obviously with this pandemic but even before like you were saying like you understand what it is to be a black woman in this in this world it brings us all just a little bit closer together to be able to recognize the traumas and be truthful to each other to bring us together and i love you i appreciate you i love and appreciate you bitch (laughs) (sighs) so do you want to get into the meaty greedy of it all are we talking about miss Corey? I want to talk about Dorian. Dorian Corey, please. I just have to. This this is my favorite because it's low key, just like this hidden gem throughout the entire film that a lot of people just don't realize. It's really funny you, to it, me. If you're not a person that is in the queer world in the history. If you're not a person like us who can't watch a movie without Googling where it was filmed and who made it and all the stuff, then you might not know this because it did. It took me a couple years to find out about this. And this story has also been mentioned on My Favorite Murder quite recently. So if you're a murderino... They did it on it? You probably already... They did, like, about a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, they did it. Oh, it's just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, very, very recent. But I'm going to give you my spin on the Dorian Corey mystery. You ready? (laughs) So Dorian Corey was born on a farm in Buffalo, New York in in the 1950s or uh, in the 1940s. She was born. If you don't know who she is, she is probably the oldest queen in this entire movie. No shade. Just same facts. Uh, she talks about the old days, and yeah. she spends the, almost the entire movie beating that face. Oh, constantly. <laughs> constantly. But she, by the time the 1950s came around, she started working as a window dresser, which was definitely a big job back in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And then she moved to New York City, where she studied art at Parsons. And by the 60s, she became a snake dancer in the Pearl Bronx Review. She would travel around the country dancing pretty much a burlesque naked dance with a snake. Picture uh, Britney Spears, I'm a slave for you, MTV Awards, less clothing. Yes. You actually see a, a, a quick picture of her holding up the snake in this movie of her mm-hmm. super young. And she ended up starting her own house, the house of Corey. Mm-hmm. And they were a pretty great house. They had about 50 grand prizes under their belt. And 
she was even one of the first queens to appear on Wigstock, which is a huge festival. I don't think they do it anymore, but they used to up until the early 2000s with Lady Bunny, Queen Lady Bunny, <laughs> um, hosting that one. But she was also a part of Wigstock. Corey started her own designing company called Corey's Design where she designed clothes for, I, I believe, mainly queens. But, mm-hmm. like, I think anybody could have really done yeah. anything because that's what she went to school for was being a fashion designer. So mm-hmm. when she talks shade on people buying clothing and not making it, it's because she is a true queen who makes her own garments. And yeah. I'm not going to... I am not mad at her because legit, when I watch RuPaul's Drag Race and a queen comes on there and doesn't know how to sew, I'm pissed. Bitch, you know they're going to ask you to sew. Exactly. You need to take your ass to Michael's or Joanne's or whatever and learn your little sewing, at least to make a garment. And it doesn't have to be perfect. At least make a slit and glue strips things onto it. I don't know. Anything. But exactly. That's that's one of the her issues, and it's one of my issues as well. So whenever RuPaul opens up the competition to cis women, I'm in there, and I'm making my own clothes. <laughs> so Corey uh, died of AIDS-related complications in 1993 at the age yeah. of 56. And in that, she told one of her friends that when she died, she could have whatever she wanted out of her closet, all her things. She could have whatever she wants, and she could sell or throw away anything else. That was her last wish. So her friend goes and starts going through her apartment, start going through her clothes. Ooh, I want this. Ooh, I want this uh, feather boa. Hell mm-hmm. yeah. And starts taking the stuff. And notice in the back corner of the closet that there was a green plaid bag there and it was like oh i wonder what's in there so she pulls it out and realized that this bag is like so heavy that she can't even like lift it she has to pull it out of the closet and once she does she realized that this bag does not have buttons or zippers it's show sold shut so she grabs some scissors she opens it up and the smell of death hits her nose and she knows immediately oh shit there's a body in here so she calls the cops and they find a half of a body perfectly mummified man's body that was in this garment bag now my question is what happened to the other half of this body because it's only the top half of this body and you could tell by the body that it was shot in the head execution style i guess kind of and this person was dead and by running fingerprints they were realized that it was Robert Worley and he had been missing since 1968 so over 25 years that this man has been missing and presumably mummified and put into this bag in the back of Corey's closet nobody knows why he's there oh some people think there was a letter well no there I heard the letter saying that it was a intruder, yes. right? There's a letter that says that a intruder came in, she shot him, felt like no matter what, she was going to go to jail because she's a black woman yeah. in Harlem shooting a man. And so it was just very easy to just put him in the back of the closet. Mm-hmm. Some people think that that this person is a lover of 
stories and got abusive lover, mm-hmm. got into it, killed him, and it was just easy to get away the body. I don't know, because I read a lot of the stuff off of Wikipedia and videos off of YouTube, so I don't believe any of that fucking shit. <laughs> and either way, this has literally been a mystery in this movie because we sit here and listen to this woman's words of wisdom like I take some of her words very seriously and try Mm -hmm. to apply it to my own life but also knowing that I am listening to a murderer is quite crazy but one of the coolest things is that in 19 or in 2017 there was a musical made about this incident called Dorian's Closet. Hello. Anything else? <laughs> I have not seen it. I have not heard any of the musics of it. I only know that it exists. And I have <laughs> wanted to see it since 2017. It. I, I didn't even know it existed. That's hilarious. Know? Yeah, there's a musical that. out there, girl. There I is a musical on this exact situation. So, I will say that they taught, they even did like a a version of this story too. They paid homage to it in Pose. In Pose. Yeah. So if you watch Pose and you didn't know that that, you thought that was just some writing. Nope. No. Based on real facts. And again, they did that a lot. Of with one of sh- my favorite characters. With Pose, they did that a lot. A lot of yeah. it. Like, definitely Angel is supposed to be Octavia St. Laurent. Like, even, in, you can see in the documentary when Octavia Hello. is going to meet um, Eileen Ford goes and angel goes to visit remember she goes and has the modeling opportunity and she meets with all of them so it, they have a lot of similarities within the show and within this the documentary yes so yeah that's a little bit of a uh, true crime murderino mystery for y'all crazy well it's also like the super tragedy true crime of what happened to venus extravaganza <sighs> yes So let's talk about that one while we're here. So the Queen, Miss Venus Escravaganza, which is also one of my favorite characters in this documentary. She's so so tiny and cute. And she just wants to be a rich white woman. Has someone to care of her. She just wants her washer and dryer. Yeah, I know. She does does (laughs) slide. She does give mad shade to us uh, cis women who are married because like, damn, bitch. If you want a new washer and dryer. If you're married, a woman in a suburb, a regular woman, is married to her husband, and she wants him to buy her a washer and dryer set. In order for him to buy that, I'm sure she'd have to go to bed with him anyway to give him what he wants for her to get what she wants. So... In the long run, it all ends up the same way. And you're a cis woman, you're going to have to sleep with your husband to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to do something, pull something, suck something, yeah. ride something to get what you need. And there's nothing wrong with that. So what's wrong mm-hmm. with, you know, someone who's not married doing the same thing to get what they want? And she was very much a free spirit. Yeah. Very cute. Lovely. Funny. I love yes. her shade. Her shade was very like cute. quite... She was reading her. <gasps> when she reads that guy, that on, the guy on the pier, oh like, my god. She's like, is there something wrong with you psychologically? I'm like, what is wrong with you, Pedro? Are you going through it? You're going through some kind of psychological change in your life? 
She went back to be a man. Oh, you went back to being a man. Touch this skin, darling. Touch this skin, honey. Touch all of this skin. Okay? You just can't take it. You're just an overgrown orangutan. I'm like, oh, damn, bitch. Yeah. Ooh. We getting deep? Yeah, there's something wrong with me, motherfucker. So she oh was a, a lady a escort who, you know, mm-hmm. needed to make her money to buy or make her amazing garments to save up money so that she could have the surgery that she so longingly wanted. She found men that she cared about her cool. and would take her out to dinner and buy her nice things and she still wouldn't have to sleep with them. All these things they talk about in the movie. 95%. At most times, 99% of the time, they don't. 95% of the time, they don't. She's like, 99%. 95 95%. 95. 95%. Um, but unfortunately, in the making of this movie, she was found in a hotel, strangled and stuffed under a bed. And she was there for about four days before she was discovered. Um, and nobody wanted to claim her body except some of her extravaganza family who had to go down there mm-hmm. and identify her and collect her ashes and legitly here we are in our lord's 2021 and we still have no clue who uh did this horrendous crime against one of our beautiful angels and it is just heartbreaking that we don't know like we don't know anything we're still here and we have no clue um, so this was happening obviously during filming because the last couple minutes of the movie they do discuss you know the passing of her and it's just shocking the first time I saw this I was like no what the fuck that's not what I thought this was going to be this is not what I thought this was going right? to be and it was and so she's probably the most heartbreaking um, tragedy, tragedy in this whole movie so we didn't get to see her grow into uh, the legendary queen that she would have most likely have been. So, yeah. Oh, because she was gorgeous. gorgeous. She was gorgeous. And she had a really beautiful heart. Yeah. So, you know. I do feel so bad. Another woman of color uh, tragically killed because of homophobic and transphobic people. I mean, she's a lot like Marsha P. Johnson. OG Stonewall starter like we have to think Marsha P. Johnson um, for us even having a pride month or pride at all we have to thank her another uh, woman of color which is another uh, documentary that we will definitely do is the one on Marsha P. Uh, Johnson because that one is another one where it's like who the fuck did this to our beautiful queens I don't know I don't know. Pin. Exactly. Exactly. This happened before it makes me we angry. Were like even born, and I want to punch somebody that this even happened. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Sweet little Sweet Venus. Little Got anybody else you want to talk about? I mean, we've already talked a little bit about Junior LaBeja and how he was such a strong influence for Billy Porter. Billy Porter does a amazing job portraying a character like Junior Mr. Junior uh, LaBeja because like I don't even have words to say because they're 
both of them, character-wise, uh, are just amazing, strong, supportive uh, characters that without them, the ballroom scene would be nothing. Like, you know. Amazing. So, yes. I'm glad that we got to talk about him because I had to dig to figure out who the fuck he was because I was kind of pissed that we didn't get more of a backstory. Yeah. But maybe he should have his own own movie. Because he lived such a one he lived such an expressive life and gave so much to the community for sure. Yeah. Maybe that's I mean, something I, that Ryan Murphy could do. Hello, Ryan. You better do it right. <laughs> um there is just so many great things in this movie that I want to talk about and how things haven't changed too much, especially having black and brown p- people uh, feeling like life would be better if they were white. A white lady in America being able to be pampered and taken care of. Um, the opulence mm-hmm. of being th- that bitch is to be rich and white. It's something that we still, till this day, have. I mean, if you, like they they say in this movie, you know, Dynasty and all of the Ford magazines and all of the things, everybody in these things are white. You're making it so that people of color can't see themselves as being that. That's why these balls are a thing yeah. so that, you know, people of color can be that regal person we see in the magazines. And I feel like it's something that we still are fighting with as a culture or as a country of not showing the full effect of what you whitewashing everything does to the majority of the country. If you're interested in any of these scenes, I would definitely say start off by watching the 1968 movie, The Queen. Yes, yeah, start off with The Queen. watching this movie because it happens in another part of uh, queer history. Which is, you know, the scary 80s, which a lot of these people died from AIDS uh, complications or from AIDS. A lot of these queens that we see didn't make it this far because of this horrible disease that was running rampant that the government refused to pay attention to or take care of until, you know, cis white people got it too. Um, Yeah. But I definitely would like to say that you should also go watch a more modern day scene called Kiki which came out 2015 I think 2015 or 16 2016 Uh, 16 that gives you more of a modern scope of what the ballroom scene is like the Kiki scene is not exactly the ballroom scene but it's a uh, a nice uh, cousin to it yeah and you know, you get to see how generations of people whose parents had thrown them out and told them that they were dead to them. And now here we are in, you know, the 2000s and we have moms, legit moms in audience cheering for their child. So like we've come so far, we still have so yeah. much further to go, but that is just a little bit of a silver lining in the storm that we are going through. Enjoy happy pride, everybody. Enjoy happy being pride. being proud to speak your truth and be as loving and welcoming to your family that's either born with or chosen. It's a time for everyone to share 
their true selves and their true love. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about in this movie uh, about houses, but houses are really just families. Uh, They're just families. The family you choose, not the family you're born with. Mm-hmm. They look after you when you have no job and you're sleeping on a park bench. They feed you when you're hungry. They help you learn how to beat that face or tuck that tuck. Uh, anything you would need to know, you know, that's what the family is for. And it's something that is beautiful. Like the boys says, you know, some families go to church and they pray together. And that makes them family, you know. Some families go to the balls together, and that makes them family, you know. Yeah. And it's not something that is just uh, in the queer c- community. A lot of people, especially if you go off to college uh, far away from your home, you find your tribe. You find your 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 uh, house, and you find your people. I mean, like, Lenny, Lenny was a part of a family that I found. And I am so glad that I got to, I still have this bitch. <laughs> You'll never get rid of me, bitch. <laughs> um, I do have one more fun fact before we go. Ooh, give me that fun fact. So, let's talk about the boys. The two uh, boys who are out past two o'clock, and they're like, I ain't got a mother. I don't have a father. They're gone, you know. We... I always be like, that's my sister, that's my gay sister right there because, you know, I'm gay and she's gay. And, you know, those beautiful, cute little kids. So they're, one of them is known as the boy in blue. He's the one on the right with the blue shirt uh, who does mo- the majority of the talking. And people have always wondered what happened to these boys. Now I try to do some digging to see what's up. But from what I hear, take it with a grain of salt because, you know, YouTube is a bitch, but someone had in the ballroom scene figured out who he was and reached out to him. And the boy in blue is still alive, but he refused to give his name or a picture of him now because he's like, that's not who I am. I'm not the boy in blue. I'm whoever he is as his old ass now. Um, He said that the boy in white was his boyfriend at the time. So both of them were together and shortly after filming this, his family found him and took him back. Aww. And the boy in blue never heard or saw from him again. So we don't know exactly what the boy in white's life ended up being. I pray that it was well and, you know, not as horrible as what I probably think it really was. I know it's like the saddest thing. Um, but yeah, so yeah. The boy in blue apparently is still alive as of 2021, and we have no idea what happened to the boy in white. That's also what's really sad is that sometimes people's lives and culture are just completely erased because it's it's easier to just push it aside and forget it than to just face it and acknowledge it and talk about it. And so we're, we are so fortunate to be able to have the memories because nobody was making a documentary about this at that time and the fact that we were able to still have it yeah and have these stories told it just it makes a world of difference and they're not forgotten and the little boy in white will never be forgotten no these kids made a a a big mark on people because you know they're like 14 15 there's 14 15 queer kids out there who's still getting kicked out of their house and still trying to figure out 
who they are, what they want to be, all that stuff. So, I mean, it is quite sad, but I wanted to know what happened to them. Yeah, thank you for looking into that. And I hope the boy in blue is really happy in his new life. I hope so, too. And he said that he appreciated the people that helped him out in his life and made him uh, better. Yeah. This is New York City, and this is what the gay life is about. Right? Okay. So, are you ready for Z for the people? Uh, yes, sir. Oh, I'm ready, girl. I'm ready. Okay. So, in honor of Pride Month, um, since last year, I didn't or we didn't get to celebrate pride as a normal group of people yeah, drinking true. and partying in the streets i did go and take my ass to west hollywood and did the black lives matter march and we focused on uh women of color trans women who are constantly being killed it's something that we don't hear a lot about in the news because no one cares um, out of all races of trans women, uh, trans or trans people in general, uh, people of color, trans people are the ones getting killed at a rapid number. So because of this, I decided that I was going to do a Z for the people. And this one is called women of color, uh, cooperative. And so this is for all trans women of color cooperative. And so their mission is to uplift the narratives of lived experience of leaderships of trans and gender non-conformant people of color. Our families and communities are built towards bringing people together and uplifting these type of people. This is also something for uh, trans people of color if they feel like they need assistance because our country straight up treats you like cattle and that you're not human and you don't even get the rights of having certain insurance, health insurance or any joining the army or any of the bullshit that they want to bring down on uh, people of color. So what they do do is they help educate not only the communities around, but get education for trans women they help with safety, yep, and housing. Nice. They're a group of people that will most definitely be at a lot of, from what I see from their website, uh, a lot of protests. They talk about black trans health. They raise money for the community. Uh, they do so many wellness funds, a bunch of things just to help uh, trans women of color. Uh, and I did this in honor of our sweet baby angle that, unfortunately, in the end of this movie, definitely did not deserve the horrible death that she had just for being different to other people, but being lovely and beautiful to us. So that really stuck with me. And it's basically why that I wanted to make sure that we had something there for Venus uh, to honor her. And I do feel like this community is. So if you go to twocc.us, donate your time, donate your money, because trans women are definitely just being 
erased from this earth quicker than any other trans person. And that's not fair because the people that created all of these buzzworthy words, shade, read, beating face, all of these wonderful things that we do, you know, Yas Queen, they all come from black queens. Don't forget that. Don't forget that the reason why we have Stonewall is because black queens are the ones who started the riot. This is why we have to protect our queens. All these people need these protections. And so that is why we have this Z for the people. I'm passionate about this one. It hurts yeah. my heart just to like think about it. So that is my Z for the people. Uh, yes, sir. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well said. Well, thank you. So uh, we did it. We made it. We made it to the end. Thank you so much for listening. You guys really appreciate it. Love having you around. Love talking about our favorite movies and drinking our favorite new cocktails. If you want to take a peek at us, this one's really good. I'm going to be sipping on it all night. This is a pretty good cocktail. If you want to listen to us, check us out. You're listening to us now on anywhere you listen to a podcast. You can check us out everywhere else. FM Player, Apple Tunes, Podbean, Flustin Paradise. Podcast Paradise. <laughs> Go ahead and check us out. Share us, like us, comment, review us. We love reading those. Go ahead and check out our Instagram, our Facebook. You can email us at Lights Camera Cocktail, no S. Get the S out of here. At gmail.com. And we would love to hear close encounters with other actors or directors or people of the film industry. Let us know. Yeah, keep giving me them Hollywood close encounters. Yes. And also, any recommendations? Anything we might have missed on the podcast you would want us to hear and share? Any cocktails people like? That would be exciting. We love hearing from you. We love doing this for you guys, with you guys. We love having a good time. Yes. Well, Miss Lenny, thank you for talking with me, and thank you for drinking with me. Of course, Z. Thank you so much. I love it. Yes. So, do you want to tell everybody what movie we're picking next week? So next week, we are going to talk about one of my favorites and yours, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's just a jump to the left. And then a step to the right. Put your hands on your hips. You bring your knees in tight, but it's the pelvic thrust. It really drives you insane. Yes, yes, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes, Queen. We're going to talk about the history. We're going to have a sick-ass drink. And I might wear lingerie to the show. Who knows? Oh, I definitely will be wearing sexy lingerie to the show. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us this drunken evening. And please, please. Check back with us next week for another new episode of Lights, Camera, Cocktails. Uh, excuse me. Has anyone seen, an, if you've seen a black pump, please return it. It is not yours. You do not own it. It is not yours. Please return. <laughs> there is a reward. 